0: What's happening, everybody? On today's show, Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports. He was down at SEC meetings in Destin last week. We'll get a firsthand account of how things went down with the decision to stick with eight conference games in 2024 as he joins the show. And we'll get you caught up with some SEC football news, Auburn loses at home in their baseball regional, and much, much more. Locked on SEC starts right now. You are locked on SEC. SEC. Your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And what is happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. It's great to have you guys along. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. I'm Chris Gordy. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Of course, we're free and available wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, without further ado, let's jump into it. A guy that our SEC listeners are certainly familiar with. He's covered Auburn, Mississippi State, Arkansas, now National uh, college football reporter at 24-7 Sports. He is Brandon Marcello, and he joins us now. Brandon, thanks for the time, man. Welcome in.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it.
0: That was probably the fastest I've ever gotten through my early spiel in the podcast, but I didn't want you waiting too long here. So, I uh, appreciate you taking some time. Let, let's just start here, man. You were down there last week in Destin for the SEC meetings. You spoke with Commissioner Greg Sankey. You talked with the SEC coaches firsthand. Um, I know what, what the big headline was, but what was your biggest takeaway from everything last week?
1: Well, the the SEC uh, is powerless against a lot of things they wish they had power over. And I'm speaking specifically about NIL, NIL legislation, state-by-state laws, the federal government teasing about getting involved and then not getting involved. There being six or seven different types of bills and never get out of committees. And the need for them, at least in their eyes, to have some type of national legislation because they feel like the genie's been let out of the bottle these last two to three years and Um, they don't have any voting power over that themselves. And yet that was the conversation piece there throughout meetings. And there was nothing to vote on because they have no way of changing anything. Um, And all of that ties into what we see with with the transfer portal, of course, which they have some control over. And they made a vote themselves to follow the NCAA transfer portal window. So really the only big change there is the SEC previously Stop the transfers from happening inside the conference for football starting on February 1st. Well, now they just follow the league guidelines like every other conference, which we kind of all knew was going to come anyway. Because why complicate things even further than everything seems to be? But yeah, just a lot of coaches and administrators really just fed up and tired of dealing with, with the way the system is running right now. But In the end, this all goes back to just simply put, in 2020, I think a lot of us were sitting indoors and had a lot of time on our hands and felt, well, now's the time to make changes and do things. And uh, coaches, administrators, they loosened up the reins quite a bit and the horse ran away. And they're trying to catch up to it on foot, and they're just not going to. It's done for, and the idea of trying to corral – a runaway wild horse right now is, uh, I think, next to impossible considering the political climate and, for that matter, just how much you would need to go right, quote-unquote, in your corner to even start to make any headway if you're the SEC or, for that matter, any conference.
0: I I do have a couple questions on that front, but we'll circle back to that in just a bit. Uh, But let's head on the big one that that made all the national headlines a week ago. Eight-game schedule versus nine-game schedule. It had been sounding like for months we were trending towards a a nine-game schedule with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference. Uh, To me, it sounds like the two biggest factors, Brandon, were one – a bunch of teams were just kind of afraid to go to nine games. I mean, some teams were looking at a tough not conference game they had, or, you know, if you're Kentucky, you're you're playing Louisville. We don't want to go to nine games, you know, uh, in the conference too. It it sounded like that was a factor. And then of course the other part, the sec, Greg Sankey can say it wasn't about the money. All he wants. We get it. The money is an issue. When you sign this deal with Disney, you go from eight to nine games. You want more money. If we're going to play a whole nother week of conference games, but to me, that sounded like those were the two biggest factors in your mind. Which one kind of weighed more heavily in the decision to vote to stay at eight for a year?
1: The money, <laughs> it was the money. I mean, and you know, Sankey can say what he wants, and and everything he says comes off very well because he's a very well trained lawyer. And but the the fact of the matter is, a lot of these administrators, every every one of you talked, them talked, they have different viewpoints and different ways to explain themselves. For all of this but in the end the deep-rooted issue in talking to them was money every time I talked to them it was you know our schedules this that 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 and and also we just don't know how much more money if any we would be getting for playing these games and we have these contracts already set up with our non-conference games and we'll have to cancel one for the next two or three years so again it's it's money that's the root of everything I I, I think that if ESPN came forward and said hey listen. Maybe we're not necessarily required to do this, but we're willing to pay you an average of like $5, 6000000 million additional to every school. Um, I think that they would have ended up just swallowing the bitter pill, and by that I mean Kentucky and Vanderbilt, et cetera, and saying, okay, we'll do a nine-game schedule. Uh, we'll, that'll more than cover our buyout costs, and everybody else is pushing us down, our th- down their throat, so we're going to do it. Uh, it's inevitable that they're going to probably go to nine games, unless something is just ast- astronomically... Uh, changes in the college landscape, whether it's the college football playoff, just straight up saying or finding some metrics to say, hey, we're going a 12-team playoff, but if you play nine games in the Super Conference right now in the SEC or Big Ten, it's actually going to hurt you. But I don't see that happening. They're just delaying the inevitable and waiting for the markets to kind of reset themselves because, as you know, uh, the finances for streaming networks and media networks is, is just absolutely hemorrhaging money right now. They do not want to spend a lot of money, and you're seeing that with the Pac-12 network. Uh, excuse me, the Pac-12 network's been bleeding money since the moment they launched it. The Pac-12 trying to find a new television deal that's been dragging its feet forever. So um, the SEC will eventually, I think, go to nine games. And um, you know, uh, you know, credit to Kentucky and others for raising such a stink about it last <laughs> summer because that put the brake, he tap the brakes just enough for all this to kind of transpire, for the markets to kinda of go south in ESPN and ESPN to say, Hey, hold on, we're not ready to talk about more money right now.
0: Yeah. And and you're uh, you're you're mention of Sankey talking like a lawyer. I love the line. We just didn't add another game during a period of transition. That is just so like that quote, man, just mind blowing on, on how you could spin this thing. But one last thing on this, before we roll to something else, there are some monster non-conference matchups already scheduled in 2024 for about half the league, if not more Do you think that factored in at all? I mean, Texas has to go up to Michigan. LSU's playing USC. Bama's going to Wisconsin. Like, there are some big games. I think some coaches maybe looked at it and said, do we really want to do that and play nine conference games?
1: Yeah, potentially, but I also think that a lot of them don't realize that now they're just slowly taking the Band-Aid off instead of ripping it off because they have big games just like that set up in 26, 27, 28 in the future. I mean, Alabama in 24 starts – playing two power five non-conference games every year for a decade. They're not doing that right now. And they're just waiting and pushing the ball down the road because at some point they're going to be doing it anyway. Um, Same goes for a lot of teams. I mean, Florida was a big proponent and has been a big proponent for nine games. And they won it. And yet they have a monster load of schedule of big-time games between now all the way through, I think, like 2037, including there was one year they had four non-conference Power Five opponents scheduled at one point. One of them was Texas, and now Texas is a conference mate. So you're looking at three Power Five conference games in addition to the nine, potentially, or the SEC, a potential all-Power Five schedule. And yet, Florida's sitting there going, let's play nine. Let's go ahead and do it. So it's inevitable. I think that shows you right then and there, because Florida could take the easy way out. In fact, I would argue they should. And look at Mizzou. They should want to take the easy way out because out of all the teams out there in the SEC, they have the most amount of non-conference games scheduled out. They would have to cancel eight games, by my count, if they were to go to nine games in the SEC starting in 2024, which obviously they're not. And yet, Mizzou wants to go to nine games. And Mizzou, obviously, their football program, has been struggling here the last five, six years. So, um it's interesting listening to the different viewpoints and the teams that maybe you wouldn't think would be in favor of it are in favor of 9 games. Again, I think it's money. It's all money. That's that's what's that's what's making these decisions right now.
0: All right, Brandon, hang tight one second. We'll get to more with you in just a second. But first, we want to remind our listeners that uh, this episode is presented to you by friends over at FanDuel. You can make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Again, great promotions going on every day at FanDuel. It's a safe and secure and easy-to-use app. You can get paid instantly, and there's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook visit. At FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And we continue our conversation. Welcome back in our buddy, uh, Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports. And uh, Brandon, um, one of the articles I saw you wrote last week that caught a lot of headlines, caught caught my eye. Uh, let's talk about the new policy that was adopted for fans storming the field in the SEC. Correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially the school that rushes Instead of paying a fine to the SEC office, you will now pay your opponent for rushing the field. What am I missing here? Why would SEC fans care? If Tennessee beats Bama in Knoxville, I'm pretty sure they don't care if they pay Bama money. A win is a win, right?
1: I think that psychologically, they're trying to get into the fans' minds that are there at the game, that maybe if everybody's sitting there going, all right, let's rush the field, it's like, yeah, but now we're paying the big dog Alabama 500 grand to use to put in a recruiting budget so it's might be a it's a psychological it not might be it is a psychological play otherwise that that money would have went to a like postgraduate scholarship uh fund is my understanding in the sec so they're taking money away <laughs> from a scholarship fund and giving it directly to the big dogs in the sec so Maybe that would work psychologically. I don't think it will. I do think that the, the the heart of the matter here is, is that what they're require, requiring from these programs now as far as security, they're requiring law enforcement and security to, to be around the teams and the game officials at all times, and also to be able to identify a potential court storming or field storming that they need to create a barricaded area for these players and officials to leave the field without being potentially touched or hurt. Um, so I think that's the meat and potatoes of it, really, is that they are requiring these schools to spend a lot of money to have new protocols to let these players off the field to kind of clear a path, literally through barriers if they have to, that are able to be moved in quickly to get the teams off the field. And the schools have until, I believe, August 1st to present their plans to the SEC office so they know that they're in place this upcoming season and they're hoping and i i don't think it'll work but they're hoping that the idea that you got to pay money directly to to nick saban's recruiting fund potentially uh would uh maybe change the minds of some students but in the end uh people who want to party party
0: that's an interesting angle i didn't think of it uh, that that you're paying money towards them to recruit better that's uh that's an interesting take on it um a few other bullets i wanted to hit on here um where is the, the SEC on the transfer portal? You said, so they're adapting what what the other folks are doing. Will they still hold fast that that second transfer portal date about you can't go to an SE, another SEC school? Is that going to hold true?
1: Now They have eliminated that, which is interesting because a lot of the coaches I spoke to and have been speaking to uh, thought that tampering went down this spring compared to other conferences because they couldn't pick and choose players from within the conference because they're already... Uh, gone through that window in December. You know, I could tell you talking to coaches in the ACC and the Pac 12, especially the ACC, they were just absolutely at each other's throats with tampering. Coaches calling other coaches, going, Hey, I don't know if you know this. Maybe it's a third party you don't even aware of, but your school is trying to get my guy off my team. He just came to my office, told me you're trying to get him. You're trying to pay him money to come. That's tampering, man. We can't be doing this. And the coaches, would have no idea. And the other coach guy, I go, well, how do you know they're telling the truth? And they're like, you know, I don't know, but I believe him when he told me, because I know that I've got people around my program, these NIL collectives, individual boosters doing things that my players tell me after the fact. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're not telling me any of this. So I can imagine what's happening when people are trying to get players from other programs. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. What, uh, This all looks like, but I think in the end, it's just, you know, ramps things up even further, potentially for tampering in the SEC, especially within the conference, because a lot of coaches, I mean, life's hell for them right now. They tell me that all the time, but at the very least that February 1st deadline, it it wasn't as much as SEC versus SEC coaches at each other's throats every day on the phone.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, I talked with somebody last week who said, what do I care if the, eight, the guy who makes $8 million a year says, oh, it's hell right now. Okay, yeah, good. You're making $8 million, but learn to deal with it. Uh, w- one other thought on the tampering side. Um one of the things we heard was maybe Greg sankey saying maybe a collective where they get every state that has an sec school on board so we just have one giant blanket for nil ruling but my thing with that is like yeah good luck getting the state of texas on board like yeah the longhorns are in texas but that means you got to get baylor a&m like every other school on board this just seems impossible
1: yeah it is and (laughs) and i think greg sankey put some truth serum in him he'll tell you that too in fact uh I had conversations with people around us, like, how would you even start to go about that? Because right now, the SEC and other conferences are going to Washington, and putting on this united front to try and they're acting like lobbyists in a lot of ways to get some federal legislation done. And that's much easier than going state by state as the SEC and lobbying state by state to somehow get the same laws put in place state by state. That ain't happening. It rarely happens when you have a lot of money behind it from the federal level when you're talking state-by-state state stuff. But I, I, that's just not going to happen. And you see Texas enacting laws, Arkansas enacting laws that are very similar, that there's even language in some of these states that, like, absolutely go against the SEC interfering. So you would have to not only convince legislators, but you would have to, if you're going to tweak the legislation that's out there, you have to somehow convince them that you're the ones to trust in all this. Uh, the SEC's best bet is to go on the federal level and do it that way. And if that doesn't work, they will start working state by state. But there's, I'm not a smart man, but there's no way you're going to do that. Not, not in this political arena and not with this different, you know, we sit here and think, think of the Southeast and the 11 or 12 foot, foot 12 state footprint that the SEC is in and will be in with OU joining, but it really is different from different state to state politically. This isn't all. Red states are all blue states. There's a lot of difference of opinion and how to go about with NIL. And the, the SEC is just not going to get that done. Listen, we're, there's going to be a lot of big ideas and swings and misses with trying to legislate NIL and everything. And at some point, some of these administrators got to sit back and realize everything we're trying is not working. So now we need to do something drastic. And that's when you start talking about football breaking away, doing its own thing and then abiding by its own rules and guidelines and everything. There's going to have to be, I think, something. If you want to corral NIL and the federal legislation does not come through, something drastic like that's going to have to happen. Yeah.
0: And, and as we know, when, when you go through Congress, everything just goes swimmingly and uh, everybody's happy yeah. with the results. <laughs> uh, <laughs> last thing for you, Brandon, as, as we wrap up here, um, you know, you were there in Destin all, all last week, got to see the coaches, like we said, talk with them. We're surprised we didn't get any. I mean, there was no like public spat or feud with like, there was no Jimbo versus Sabin barbs. Like, what's going on with the SEC? Are we, are we getting soft now?
1: Yeah. Greg Sankey, I mean, st- stepped on that. Uh, immediately last year and told the coaches pretty much shut up or stop doing this or else, you know, we don't do it that way in the SEC. I'm tired of this. So that that shushed the talk uh, quite a bit and that's what's made it boring. Absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, there probably would be something to, to kind of go at each other. But again, I mean, um, you know, if tampering starts r- becoming a bigger issue in the spring months, that's when you're going to start hearing those type of things of these spring meetings, these coaches going at each other. But, um, you know, being at ACC and Pac-12 stuff, they're more of their concerns were from other conferences coming in and poaching guys because it seems to be easier to do that. Because not to say you can hide your tracks, but it's much easier to, I guess, to commit a crime or do something wrong from far away than in your own neighborhood. So I think that's kind of what we're where we're at with tampering transfer.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with these other conferences. At least
1: the SEC is in a good spot. They're the they're
0: the hunters, not the hunted. Like some of these other conferences trying to hang on to every school that they that they have. Brandon Marcello, twenty four seven Sports, of course, uh, where all your stuff is. Uh, let our listeners know. You got anything uh, you're working on this week?
1: I'm working actually on a story about tampering. Uh, some anecdotes, also some stories about what's happening behind the scenes with that, um, and. Uh, I always try to think about how do I do a story that would settle all this, like pitch something that would work and I don't have it. <laughs> Everybody else can act like they have the idea. No one has the idea. No right. one has a solution. All you can really do is live in the here and now. And But, but I, I say this again, unless there is federal legislation within the next two, three years, something drastic is going to happen for college football or college athletics as, as we see it and know it. I know things seem crazy right now, but just just wait. Oh, I, things are coming if the feds don't step done.
0: I did have one more thing before we let you go. I, I your your post spring top thirty you did a couple weeks ago. You had Bama at six. Uh, how many death threats did you get for that? And and do you want to rethink your ranking at all?
1: I doubt. In fact, I released that, and then like a couple weeks later, Bama went and got two defensive backs from the group of five level in the transfer portal. What Nick Saban? <laughs> The defensive soothsayer, the greatest coach of all time, which I I agree with, the college football. His position that he coaches personally, the secondary, he's got to go get two group of five transfers who are probably great, but it tells you how they swung and missed uh, on the high school level and with development of players here the last few years. Couple that, obviously, with the issue of quarterback, way too many questions. I stick by that number six ranking. I got LSU ahead of Alabama in the SEC right now.
0: He is Brandon Marcello. He doesn't hold back. Follow him on Twitter, at Marcello. Brandon, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. All
1: right, thanks, Chris.
0: All right, that's uh, Brandon Marcello there of 24-7 Sports, and uh, we appreciate him for jumping on with us. All right, uh, coming up next, we are going to hit on some tidbits going around the conference. That's coming your way in just a sec. Roll along here, locked on SEC. And again, we thank Brandon Marcello for joining us there from 24 7 Sports. We do have some other things we've got to touch on. Uh, look, we got baseball regionals and stuff going on this weekend. So let's do it. Let's jump into it. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the
1: Around the conference.
0: And we start here. The Auburn Tigers saw their season come to an end with a 7-2 loss in uh, their elimination game against Southern Miss on Saturday. The number 13 seed goes down after having a 34-21-1 regular season. Auburn had little time to rebound following Friday night's extra innings loss to Penn. Pitcher Tommy Vale got the start for the Tigers he came into that game with with Auburn winning 14 of the last 16 games he had pitched. And unfortunately, he just could not get it done. Hosting regionals in back-to-back years for the first time ever. And just for the sixth time in school history, Auburn, look, they appear to be in pretty good shape. Butch Thompson and his crew have done a good job. But I know a lot of Auburn folks were disappointed in how that happened. It's like you host a regional at home, you should win it. But uh, that wasn't the case for them, and it wasn't the case for some other schools, as you saw over the weekend. Now, quick disclaimer at the time we're recording this show, there are still a ton of baseball regionals up in the air. So we can't get you completely caught up on all the baseball action, uh, but we will on tomorrow's show. We can tell you this Tennessee, they won the Clemson regional. They beat Charlotte last night. So the Vols have their third straight Super Regional berth. Congrats to Tony Vitello and his squad. Uh, South Carolina, they won their Regional. They beat uh, Campbell. They are on to the Supers, Uh, so congrats to them. Uh, Vanderbilt, they lose at home in their elimination game to Xavier, so Vanderbilt eliminated. Pretty crazy to see that. Uh, Florida, Jack Caglione, he's now in sole possession of second place for most home runs in a season in SEC history with 31. Florida beat UConn in their elimination game, so Florida will now try to uh, stay alive here. Um, And other notes, uh, Tennessee or or Kentucky, they held off West Virginia uh, and then took on Indiana last night. Um, They won that one, so they stay alive in their regional. And LSU, they beat Oregon State. Now, they had weather issues all uh, weekend, so LSU will actually play their regional final today. So, of course, uh, we'll get you caught up to date with them and more of the other schools. Arkansas, uh, they had lost to uh, to TCU. Uh, last I checked, they were up on Santa Clara. So, anyway, just we'll get you caught up once all this stuff is finalized on tomorrow's show, and uh, we'll bring you a full SEC postseason baseball report. Now, uh, one of the schools that is not playing postseason, Missouri, they found their new baseball coach, According to D1 Baseball, Memphis coach Carrick Jackson will be heading to Missouri as their new head coach. Uh, Jackson served as a Mizzou assistant from 2011 to 2015. He was the head coach at Southern from 2018 to 2020. And in his lone season at Memphis, the Tigers went 29 and 28. Now, the interesting thing about Carrick Jackson, he'll be the first black baseball head coach in SEC history. Uh, He was one of four uh, black head coaches who started this past season as head coaches at non-HBU schools at the top level of college baseball. So he's a guy who's very well respected, uh, ran the MLB Draft League years ago, like we said, coached at Southern. Uh, the Jaguars made the NCAA tournament in 2019 under his watch. He's also served as a baseball scout for the Washington Nationals. So excited for Carrick Jackson, excited to welcome him to the, him to the conference, and uh, we'll see what Missouri baseball can do here over these next couple of seasons. In football news, Zachary Franklin is coming to the SEC, former UTSA wide receiver. He is committed to play for Ole Miss. He comes to Oxford after playing in 46 games over four years at UTSA. He was named first-team All-Conference USA in 2021. This past year, he posted another 1,000-yard season with double-digit touchdowns. Was, again, a first-team All-Conference USA pick. So, Big time playmaker. 94 catches for 1,100 yards and 15 touchdowns last year. And now he gets to come and catch passes from Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, whoever it is. Big time pickup there for Olmus and Lane Kiffin. Now, as far as recruiting goes, Olmis picked up a quarterback commit for 2025. Rebels uh, picked up quarterback commit Quentin Murphy out of Little Rock, Arkansas. He's 6'1", 205 pounds, rated four stars, the number two player from the state of Arkansas in 2025. So, nice pickup for them. Uh, in Florida football news, Netflix announced they are going to release a documentary on the 2006-2009 to 2009 Florida Gators under former head coach Urban Meyer. On Saturday, it was revealed the series is set to launch on August 23rd and will be titled Swamp Kings. Of course, the Gators won two national titles in 2006 and 2008. Tim Tebow was a big focal point of that of that uh, run. Of course, winning a Heisman Trophy and leading uh, leading them on that 0- 08 national championship run. So, uh, gonna be fun to see that. Should be must watch TV for SEC football fans. And lastly, in softball news, uh, Tennessee. Last I saw, they were uh, up in their elimination game with Oklahoma State tonight, but. Uh, they ended, or Alabama ended their season over the weekend, losing to Stanford 2-0. Montana Fouts and Alabama's season came to an end. It marked the end of a career for Montana Fouts, who was the ace for Alabama. She was a 2021 Pitcher of the Year, three-time All-American, uh, held her final media conference for her collegiate uh, eligibility on Friday night and was in tears bidding for w- farewell. Uh, But what an accomplishment in five seasons there. Led the Crimson Tide to a number 5 national seed this past year. Made 29 total starts in 40 appearances. She began with the Tide in 2019 and made an impact almost immediately. Four-time first-team All-SEC pick. The SEC co-pitcher of the year in 2021. The 2021 SEC tournament MVP for Alabama. Uh, Just all the accomplishments. Congrats to Montana Fouts on a well accomplished career. And there you have it. That is the latest news of everything going on around the conference. Thank you guys so much for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Thanks again to Brandon Marcello for joining us as well. Uh, And thank you guys for making us your first listen every day. And a shout out to our everydayers. Go check us out on tomorrow's show. Uh, We'll be talking more SEC football tidbits. And like I said, we'll be wrapping up all the baseball action from across the SEC in the regional sites from over the weekend. I'm Chris Gordy. This has been Locked on SEC. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.